Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about figuring out what people want us to tell them about and telling them about it. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. And on this episode, we're doing it live with questions from our audience. All right, here we are in our very first live episode. Uh, everything yeah. should sound exactly the same because mm-hmm. we're doing everything exactly the same. Yes. Uh, we might be glancing at the chat occasionally and saying things, but we'll make sure that we're saying things the right way and yes. that it isn't like really confusing. <laughs> yeah. And also this is a, this is, so this is a, it's also a, a live, it's, so it's a live episode because we hit $150 a month on Patreon uh, with our great supporters. Um, Yay, probably maybe a year ago, <laughs> I want to say. Um, and so we've we've owed this episode for a while. Um, we also decided to do it as a Q&A episode. So mm-hmm. I have a whole bunch of ep- questions that people have submitted. We're going to try to get through as many of them as we can. Um, if there are people live in the chat right now who have questions, um, then they can ask those questions and hopefully we'll get to those questions too. Uh, and uh, you'll get to see a little bit of how we uh, do this do this podcast, which will make no sense for the people listening to the podcast because it will be edited. You will have already heard the intro sequence, which we have definitely recorded at the beginning of this episode and definitely have not recorded at the end of the episode. But um, We've been pretty open about that in the past. Yeah. All so, right. So... Do you want to jump into a specific one or just go right from the top? Um, Let's see. Well, there was one question that I feel like we should address that I didn't include on here. But okay. somebody asked, when is the Pasión de los Pasiones Kickstarter starting? And <laughs> um, what is the link to it? Um, uh, so it started uh, in at the end of February uh, and is done now. And uh, I'm very excited with how it went. It was the support. Is this the first time I've talked? Oh my God, this is the yeah, first time I've talked on the air about it. it. I'm going to cry, James. <laughs> now, this is the problem, is yeah. that that I get emotional every time I talk about mm. it, because it has been just the most incredible ride, and I cannot thank everybody enough. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited that I get to make a lot of really cool stuff now. Like Two, two books. Two books. And that, like, the second book thing opens up a lot of space for me to do stuff that I'm just excited to do. Uh, so that is just incredible. And man, this light really makes it look like I'm tearing up in a major way, but <laughs> yeah. that's definitely not true. It's just the light. It's just the it's light. It's just the light. Yeah. I need to adjust it at some point. Uh, but just thank you everybody who supported the Kickstarter. I cannot wait to get you this game. I think it's going to be really, it's going to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> I am so excited to both own it and play it again and uh and all that so cool so all right um, so that's our episode yep that's it question and answer (laughs) one question one answer uh that was it was a question and answer session exactly i don't think Uh, we ever unfortunately that was the first one that came through so Mm -hmm. it is what it is Uh, i've got one i kind of want to talk about yeah yeah this this isn't it's not game it's not like strictly game design I think that's fine. But I, 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 I we're not I, like strict, strictly a game design podcast. That's true. I am increasingly like going like, what if we were just like a D and D podcast? We just talked about games, <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of people would be very upset with us. Yeah. Uh, but here's a great question: What are your thoughts on spoilers in games? How mm. important is it that players are in the dark about things their character would know? Oh, or their character wouldn't know, rather. Yeah, I have a very, I have a very strong opinion about this. Me too. And I feel like we agree. Okay. <laughs> Who wants to so, say? It? You go first because you okay. said you had a you had a you had a strong feeling about this. Yeah, I think spoilers are the best. Um, and I actually recommend spoilers way more than most games do, to the point that like, you know, you know, uh, the whole play to find out what happens. I think it's okay to sometimes play knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so like there's this game, uh, The Road to Linder's Farm or something like that. I'll admit I might be wrong on the exact title where it is a game where you are um, a witch or someone who's been accused of being a witch. I don't know. It I think it can go yes or no on whether you actually are, mm-hmm. but you are being taken to be tried and killed as a witch. And 
we know the ending. Uh, it's I, I think there technically you cannot kill the witch, but like it's really stacked against the witch. Uh, but we know what's going to happen. We know you're going to get there. We know you're, there's going to be a trial, and we know, probably in all likelihood, that's it. And that game is really, really good. Like it's a really cool, really interesting mm-hmm. game. We know what's going to happen. What's interesting on it is the journey. And so if you start your game by saying, "Hey, I want to do this. This is where I want to end up." It doesn't have to ruin the game. It lets all the players like work together and basically use it as foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was one hot second there where I thought that we didn't agree. Because <laughs> you said you were for spoilers. And I thought that you meant oh, that you like were pro for, the concept. Like pro the concept. Uh, no, I also agree wholeheartedly that surprises in games are overrated. Yeah. Um, no, like. Don't get me wrong, they can rock. Mm-hmm. But they it's just as good. Like, yeah. it doesn't make it worse. Uh, it's just a different experience, right? Yeah. I, I had a, I had a, um, I, one of the, I want to say, oh, God, I can't remember how long we've been, uh, we've been going to Metatopia, but one of the first Metatopias I went to, um, someone was sitting at or I went to a, I went to a panel or no it must have been the second it must have been the second metatopia because Meg Dornbrock was on a panel about um uh gaming with disabilities and and, okay. and writing games to account for that yeah um and they were talking about how um one of the from from, from a sort of safety mechanic perspective um like everyone like there was a i guess there was a problem that year where there was a larp that like cut the lights out on everyone in the room really quickly oh. which was not good for some of the people who who already like either had a fear of the dark or were already hard of uh, like had difficulty seeing or yeah um, or like any sort of like balance or yeah and or so like that and they were saying things, and so the game designer was saying things like, but the, but the surprise is like the point of the game. Mm. And one of the things that came up in the discussion was like, when was the last time that anyone really like, you wrote a surprise into your game or you like, and, and it was really, it really hit the way that you wanted it to. And, and, and I kind of thought about that a lot. And like, I don't know that I've, I've ever, cause I've been that, that GM who wanted to like surprise my players about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know that I really think that it's worth it. Yeah, from either a like from sa- a safety concern point of view, but also just from a like a storytelling point of view. The thing that you said about if everyone kind of knows where the ending is, then we then everyone can work towards it. Exactly, I think is important because it's a, it's a it's a group storytelling. Yeah, and is so what like makes it great. If if you take a game and you say like, if you have a game where one person knows everything that's going on then like write a script like yeah. if if you're if you are playing a game and the entire game is the surprise like buy a jack in the box like yeah you're the point of the game should not be i surprised my players like that's it's just it's that's not a way to play a game really and like you might get like one big moment but if you do it by letting people know what's going on ahead of time you can have like really amazing moments throughout where someone gets to like slyly make mention of something that makes it clear that they know. Like I just think of like the horror movies. Yeah. Horror movies. Oh yeah. Uh horror should be played entirely out in the open with like mm-hmm. the GM being like, "Yeah, okay, so uh you hear uh the scratching of the axe on the outside of the door from the the man in the mask." And you're like, "Okay." Like we don't it doesn't need to just be scratching. We can know, "Hey, this is what's going on." Because then the players can start doing things like looking into a mirror and having get like a weird reflection where it looks like there's a mask over their face. And like then you've <laughs> got like a real thing going on. Yeah. 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 yeah I think um, uh, Magpie in the in the chat is saying was saying um, that. Uh, they feel bad about a lot of the surpri- their surprises. And actually, I think that's that's the thing that's true about me, like a couple of the times where I have tried to GM a surprise into a game. Often in that moment before I'm trying to like build up to a big twist or something like that, um, I get that like my my heart starts racing and I get lightheaded because I'm excited for this surprise. Mm-hmm. And so looking back, I'm like, I clearly was not GMing as well as I could have been because I was so focused on getting to the surprise. There was a recent Brodian City that uh, we ended with a big surprise panel. 
that uh, that I narrated. And in sitting in the recording and doing it, like this was supposed to be a big surprise for the audience. And so there's a yeah. little bit of weirdness there of like, should we aim for surprise for the audience? Yeah, probably. Um, but I got so excited to reveal that surprise that I was like, and it's like this and like this is yeah. going on. And like it just it was not the it didn't have the gravitas of if it had been just the group of players and I had told them ahead of time what was going on of just going like, and here's the, the, the setup. Mm-hmm. And then we went back yeah. and we recorded it because, uh, podcasts are magic. Yeah. Well, there's, and there's, there's a thing that I've always said, or I've, I've said for a long time about Protean city is that the people that we're trying to surprise there are listeners, not the mm-hmm. other players. Um, yeah. And I, think I think everybody at the table knew what was going on. Yeah. The other thing about, um, the players all know where you're, knowing where you're going is not that they can, not that they can uh, just help you work towards it, but also that because they know in advance, like a moment that you're heading towards, yeah. they can think about how their character will react. True, and get a more genuine rea- and have a more genuine reaction to mm-hmm. it uh, yeah. compared to if they're trying to like process the fiction in the moment because it's like it's a layer removed from them. They're not actually living it. They're not having they're having a sort of secondhand reaction. And yeah, I mean, in, 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 in terms of writing that stuff into your game too, like, like you said, I, I like the idea that you all, that everyone goes in knowing that the character is a witch and is, knows mm-hmm. where that's going. Um, I want to play or that isn't game a sometime. witch, but, but is, is, is knows where it's going. And, um, I'm trying to think like, I haven't written any games that really had surprises built into them. Everybody knows what's going on up front with my space hauler game. Um, yeah, people pretty much know what's going on in terms of pasiones, pasiones. I mean, except like there is like a whole mechanic for like revealing something shocking, but none of it is shocking. You know, yeah. like it's, it's something that theoretically you're making up right in the moment. Right. And realistically, and we know the that, tropes. That's what someone in, in the chat said, too, is like the best surprise moments are where everyone is surprised because you have all arrived at the moment mm. at the same time. And then as a group, you say, oh, right. Obviously, this is the thing that's true that we didn't know until just now. Yeah. Um, I think Amur also makes an interesting point in this chat that, uh, that you can have some of your, like your favorite moments from saying to somebody, this is what I would like to do. Uh, I don't know exactly how to set it. Like, I don't want to have to try to set this up. Yeah. Let's set it up together. Uh, that reminds me of the flag system, which is an alternate way mm. of doing bonds for dungeon world. Uh, it's very slick. I wish I had seen it. I wish it was in more games. I might yeah. actually use it in a game. If I get back to XOXO, we'll have it probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, that Uh, makes sense. But so basically what it is, is you say, this is the way I want people to treat my character. And if people treat your character that way, they get an experience point. So you're like, I am the, uh, I am the 14 year old rogue that thinks that they're super cool and thinks that they're ready to fight the world. And I want people to push me out of the way of danger. Uh, because it isn't what your character wants it's what you want so like yeah. you want to have the scenes where you're like yeah let's get him and you're running in and then someone just like nope because that's a fun scene for you it's like almost like the opposite it's almost like like splitting the beacons drives into two se- into two separate people and kind of giving people like permission to like hey this is how I want my character to be treated because this way of being treated is a thing that interests me about this character Mm, uh, yeah. if I am playing Gandalf I want people to come to me asking for knowledge and so if I don't if I don't put up that flag if I don't make it clear that I'm knowledgeable then it's really hard for people to do that and I don't get to have that fun scene where I'm like mm. <laughs> yeah there's there's a there's there's a way in which a lot of games especially PBTA games sort of show their hand at that sort of stuff in a playbook way um and not in a like like there like there because of the tropes that you're leaning into like people understand how you're going to respond to the the beacon or something like that or like if you're playing princess world and you are the fairy prince yeah the fairy princess and you can grant wishes like then people are gonna angle towards like making wishes um right they know i think that and, and I think that that is a way that you buy like, and I think that is an inherent way in which PBTA games by playing into those tropes, uh, in their playbooks, they can really like, sh- they can help you do that kind of have that conversation in, in advance. Awesome. So I think we answered that question. Yeah. Two questions. <laughs> yeah. Two whole questions. Do we have time for a third? I think we do. 
I want to okay. talk about. Um, I, I, so I want to. I want to. I think these. This question and this question, which is really helpful to they both the listeners that, and the streamers. Hmm? Yeah, no one can see that. No one can see me. this. Um, I think these two questions are very the same. Are very similar, and they are um, when designing. How much overlap with another game? Uh, with what another game does or seeks to emulate is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how much should you focus on making yourself uh, unique, especially in crowded design spaces like fantasy games? And then mm-hmm. also someone else asked, um, I have a game with a niche infer- interest. I feel like there is a demand. I feel there is a demand for this game, but as a novice to marketing, I'm not completely sure how to do so effectively outside of advertising my Twitter followers and making friends in the community. Help me stop, I can roll. So yeah, both so- of those are about like, one is kind of about the yeah it's about like making a niche product or making a product that that is in a broad space and like how do you do that and then help people to find it yeah which kind of like gets into like a is it worthwhile and also a this is worthwhile to me how do i make sure that it isn't uh worthwhile and just gone yeah in the wind yeah um i think that i think that those are both very connected in and you know, thing that uh, advice that I've heard you people you tell people before of like make the game that is like make your game make a game that is true to what you want your game to be because it will be the best version of the game. If you're trying mm-hmm. to make a game for someone else, then you're gonna write a less good game. Absolutely. And, and so by making a good game, it will sort of like d- no matter how niche it is, if it's good enough people will like at least attract it'll attract some people talking about it which can help you yeah it'll it'll like so okay i think i think i want to talk about both sides of this and i do think it is like a little bit of a spectrum of the question but let's start with one okay and kind of go like kind of like take two case studies right let's talk about okay yeah let's start let's start with the first question about um building like building games in a crowded space yeah uh, so, uh, what you're going to want to do is make a fantasy game with six stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Gotta have that D20. Yeah. And, uh, there's no and other way. They just call it like road encounterer and you'll probably sell more than anyone, uh, <laughs> on this podcast ever will sell a game. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, there are some fields that are extremely chock full of stuff that continue to sell at rates that dwarf that like that dwarf every other niche field uh so like if your goal is sales make a fantasy game like period uh like pasión de los pasiones i you know i'm gonna toot my own horn you know i love to do that (laughs) it is a really good game it is a really good game being published by a designer that knows what they're doing by someone who has uh i think I'm like two people away from 2000 Twitter followers right now. So I've got like a little bit of influence. Uh, And if I had instead made a fantasy game, I would have sold way more copies. Like period. Even if I was worse, like there are plenty of total garbage PB, like not PBTA or PBTA fantasy games Mm -hmm. that just clean up. And so like, if you take your same resources and you put that towards a fantasy game, you'll probably sell more. Yeah, I think there's there's also room in that in that field too. Like 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 there are games like Torchbearer, which are very mm-hmm. much in the same. They take a lot of the same form of a fantasy like a fantasy genre game of of uh, adventuring heroes, but hit very differently. That's true, but like think so like we know about like torchbearer and dungeon world and world of dungeon because we're uh indie story guys All right, that's fair. but like if you were on an osr podcast like i listened to a couple of osr podcasts and i'm not even gonna be able to list like a third of them and some of them i won't list because forget <laughs> about people who worked on them um but like like there's like four or five different versions of something called the black hack which is a single OSR game. And like, I don't know what their sales are like, but that is like three heartbreakers based on one (laughs) OSR game that are like established enough. They have communities. Interesting. So like, 
Yeah, like, and like, needless to say, Dungeon World is enormous. I have a hobby I do occasionally when I get bored that I just read Dungeon World playbooks. And the reason there's a hundred thousand billion Dungeon World playbooks is that Dungeon World is the fantasy PBTA game that people know about. Part mm. of that is that it was the early one. And so just like D&D, the early one gets boosted up in a huge way. Part of that is that it has some really fun tech. Part of yeah. it is that it is D&D. And so if you put it in front of a D&D table, it will be successful. Yeah. And that's what all of the OSR stuff, not all the OSR, that is what many of the fantasy OSR games are also. It's just saying, hey, let's do second edition, uh, but let's do it with Lovecraftian monsters or let's do it with like a fairy tale aesthetic. And maybe a slightly more modern layout and everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like no shade on that. Uh, those games can be very fun. And there's some really awesome people in the OSR space. Uh, mm. Just like there's awesome people in our indie space and terrible people in the indie space. Uh, I'm, I'm never going to be like encouraging the OSR indie fight. I really try to fight against it. Uh, but, but like that is an almost infinite space. Mm. Now where things get dicey is if you're like, I want to make a PBTA wrestling game. And Nathan Paletta's just now putting out Worldwide Wrestling 2nd Edition. And like, Worldwide Wrestling's real good. So like, yeah. you've got to have some kind of a hook that pulls you away from it, right? Like if if someone two years from now is like, I'm putting out a telenovela game, uh, they're like, you know, hey, maybe they'll totally destroy me. But chances are people will look at their shelf and say, I've already got a telenovela game. I wonder, so I think that there's there's two parts to that, which is like, why are, to, to answer the, the question, like, why are you, or to, to sort of investigate this question more, like, why are you writing this game? Is it yeah. because, like, I think I hear, I hear that question of like, should I make this thing if it does what another game does, or if it overlaps with another, like, uh, with another thing in, in the terms of playbooks a lot, especially like masks yeah. playbooks, All there the are, because, because I started sort of writing a, a, pl- uh, a playbook to play uh, Venom or or a couple different things like that, and there are a ton of other like Parasite style um, playbooks, yeah. and like I think that I think that if you're just doing it because you want to write the thing, like absolutely go do then it. Do Don't it. worry about yeah. it. Like do follow your passion, write the game that you want to write. Um, and I, I there is an mm. interesting thing about if you're trying to sell the game yeah where like if you dive into an already really saturated uh market like no one is going to think twice about if you choose to write a fantasy game but if you yeah. choose to write or like you said if you choose to write a wrestling game that does feel a little bit more like an attack on worldwide wrestling yeah because like it's the wrestling PBTA game so if you are writing a PBTA game that is also about wrestling there's a way in which it sort of feels like a weird business attack yeah, um, kind of like, but, but I have worldwide wrestling. I know how to play yeah. worldwide wrestling. Um, yeah, there's that, that's weird. In in which I, I think because I think we talk about um, worrying about either getting lost in the crowd or not wanting to emulate. Um, and I, and I feel like I feel like there's a weird way in which like I think people lament that the fantasy space is so full or feel like that it's that there's there's a problem there because like they wish people would spread out and do other things but sorry I'm I'm just like I'm talking around no, this no. point I'm finding my way there but um there's safety there because in in the numbers of it versus yeah. if you try to t- to like do something that's more unique than if there's only one or two other games in that genre you're you're going to be more compared to them and, and I mean, part of it is also just Venn diagrams. Like, if you look at people that play RPGs, and like, what, let's say, let's be really generous and say that non-fantasy gaming is 20% of the hobby. That means 80% of the people that you could put a game out for already like fantasy, right? And so, like, if you put out a game that is, for example, telenovelas, the space of overlap is really small. Mm-hmm. between people that like RPGs and people that like telenovelas. And so you need to either make that space by making something that kind of gets people to do it and like using a lot of marketing, using a lot of uh like just social media, a lot of push to, on people to like try something new. Mm-hmm. 
or you need to just get everybody who is in that group. Uh, and so that can also grow. That's something that tends to grow a little bit like slower over time. Like worldwide wrestling, I like I might be wrong, but I don't think it had like a blockbuster stunning release, but it has become an indie staple. Mm, and yeah. so like it continues to sell and continues to sell and everything like that. So I think a big part of this also is what your purpose is. Like, why is it that you're making the game? This is the thing that I'm trying to, that's kind of my, my 2020 push is why am I making this game? Why am I making this content? Why am I doing it? And if the answer is profit, then you should make a game that maximizes profit, which means you should make a fantasy game that does something cool. Yeah. Uh, if your purpose is to make something really niche, then it doesn't matter whether it's profitable. Like if your purpose is to make something that does something that's important to you, then do that because it doesn't matter who buys it. And there will be people that buy it and there'll be people that see that and like it will be the best version of the game that it could be because it's the one that you care about. There's a weird way that that connects back to that second question we answered of like, um, don't keep secrets from yourself. <laughs> like if you, if your goal here <laughs> yeah. is to make a game and sell money, then do the things like then admit that to yourself. That's fine. Go and don't keep those secrets and then go do the thing that's going to make you money. If your goal mm. is to make the best wrestling game or to make the best whatever game, then like go all out and do that regardless of whether it makes money because you're only going for that one thing. You just call Nathan DiPoletta into the ring and you tell yeah. him you got three minutes and <laughs> that is the only thing. The only thing I know about wrestling is um, that uh, El Santo was in a whole bunch of vampire movies. Yeah. And uh, Bone Saw from the old Spider-Man movie, where he said that he had three minutes in the ring with him. That's like all I've got. <laughs> so let's say let's say now that you have a ne- you have a really good idea for a niche game, yeah. and you have some desire to get. Maybe you're not your goal is not like for the second question asker. It doesn't sound like their goal is necessarily to make tons of money. But no, it's that they want so. to get advertising for the game. Like they want people to play the game. Yeah, and so. They're they're on this quest to make their niche game because that's the truest game that's inside them and that's what they want to make. But they do yeah. want people to play it. So as someone who has has perhaps written and 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 just recently <laughs> successfully kickstarted a a maybe somewhat niche game, uh, what words of wisdom do you have? Oh no, the the, the micro RPG uh, game series that that James D'Amato is doing isn't doing Kickstarter. Uh, Sorry, yes. Sorry, that was. I, ha- that I was... should clarify which of your published <laughs> games now. I guess we should talk about. Oh my god, um, that was that was the most vain thing. Normally, that would immediately <laughs> be cut because like, I'd be immediately like blush, like no, 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 James, cut that. Uh, it's too late. Too late. It's it's live. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> um, so I got extremely lucky, uh, in that. I happened to sit down with someone who, like, knows telenovelas in my first playtest. And, like, there is no... I will never stop admitting that that was extremely lucky. And Pasión could have crashed and burned and never gotten anywhere. If I had taken it to Metatopia and playtested it at three tables, at which there was not another Latinx person, it would have not happened. I would have ended it right there. Because, like... Frankly, it probably wouldn't have done what I needed it to do, and it wouldn't have, like, hit my feelings of uh, general di- di- diaspora that, <laughs> that like, was important for me to make it. Yeah. Uh, and it could be that, it, that I would have, I don't know, you know, it's impossible to say, like, in this alternate world, right? But I just want to highlight with that, that the way that I found out that it worked and the way that I found a pathway to get it out there was by getting it in front of people. Uh, and that is not necessarily the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way to do that is to go to conventions. But as I previously said, uh, it's all fantasy. So you've got to find the right convention. Like There are small cons that you can get involved with that can do things. Uh, the uh, double exposure cons in New Jersey uh, do a good job, I think, of spreading the ideas around. There's a whole bunch of publishers there. And whether you're looking to find a publisher or not, 
interacting with publishers and like rubbing shoulders and like meeting people is a way to get found. Um, I think there is a way in which your kind of your gut instinct is to look for the people who aren't in your niche to try to like talk mm-hmm. to them about it. And I think that maybe a better, like a good, maybe not a better way, but like a, a really, an, I think that an important part of it is find the people in your niche and share your game with them and get yeah. them talking about it so that it isn't just you. Yeah. If you find that the one other Latinx person or if you find the like 16 other people who are really into wrestling yeah. uh, RPGs and then you get them very excited about it and then they're all talking about it and then and like it will slowly build. Eventually, you do have to pivot yeah. towards hitting those people who aren't in that niche. But like I have tried to do a thing of like just be like for for it's not quite the same, but like um, with with Pretty and City our masks podcast, I have tried to just anywhere there are people talking about role-playing games and superheroes. I've tried to be in that space talking about as a member of the community and talking about the podcast. So anywhere that people are talking about your niche or people, whether it's, and I think we have a benefit in most cases of being a table, like being a tabletop community, we are trying to emulate something. And so you can say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go find the tabletop, telenovela community and talk to them yeah. about it a lot and then i'm just gonna go find the telenovela community who may know nothing about role-playing games mm-hmm. and then i'll get involved in that community as well uh and yeah and try to pitch to them i'm i'm gonna write if, if you're writing the game about underwater sea creatures then go find the underwater sea creature uh game like community that isn't related to games and then introduce them to tabletop gaming through your game that you based on that yeah, and that's so it's something that you can do really proactively by being in a convention space or by being in lo- online spaces. Um, Amur's in the chat points out uh, breakout and big. Amur in the chat points out that breakout and big bad con are both really good ones for that as well. Um, I know the gauntlet is phenomenal for playtesting games. They get an enormous amount of games all the time online, uh, and so they've actually I think uh, Hearts of Wulin and a couple of others trophy went from like being gauntlet tests essentially to being published games. And so like, but you, you got to be genuine about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, even something like um, Kevin Petker goes to PAX East and, and PAX mm-hmm. Unplugged and stuff like that and does the games on demand stuff. And like, I was there at PAX East two years ago, or like a year ago. Um, and the way those work is like, people just like walk up and then want to try to get into one of the open tables. And like, yeah, like not a lot of people walked in and were like, "Oh, gee, I want to play this 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 princess game that isn't <laughs> published yet, or this game yeah. about medical dramas that isn't published yet." But like, uh, they all wanted to play Scum and Villainy or whatever other Pathfinder yeah. game was being run. But like, eventually, like you just you do your hustle and you get people to to join. And and the way Kevin does it is he 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 just he puts he fills the table as one or the other. And once yeah. people fill up the table, he he lets them choose. And then you mm-hmm. get people to just kind of play the thing. And then yeah, and like and you got to be legitimate about it too, right? Like it is really tempting to just like basically cold call influencers you know and go like like hey uh like evil hat whatever um or even like a like a podcast person with like a big footprint um and be like hey here's my game tell me what you think of it and that might work but chances are the person that you're getting in contact with unless they're working at a company full-time additionally has a full-time job and doesn't have time to read a you know maybe maybe not even have the time to read like a 40 page ash can yeah like but certainly not like a 200 page book and so like if you're in that space you can't go in and be like i am just here to sell you need to be there to like make relationships and like see other people's games and like learn things and like make friendships some of the people that i like like i i get requests from people to to like retweet and like share and stuff like that and I'm not especially good at keeping up with it <laughs> anymore because I am now a dad. Um, and we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but uh, yeah. yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but building those relationships is important. Like, yeah, because relationships like if, are the key to marketing. Period. Exactly. Like, if if someone who I have, if who I have a relationship with, gets in contact with me and says, like, "Hey, uh, I need help hyping this game," 
then like, I'm going to be there. But if someone like just sends a DM and is like, I'm doing this. Can you read 80 pages? Let me know what you think and post a review. Then it's like, no, I'm not going to have the chance. I'm just not going to have time to. Um, and like, sometimes that also can look like a spammer. (laughs) There was, there was someone who I like, like there's a lot of people that I just, I don't, that I don't respond to because I lose track of it and I'm very disorganized. Uh, but like I had someone contact me like four or five times before I realized that they weren't a spammer. Mm. Uh, and it was like really, it was really like, and we, we then after that connected and like, we're able to like do some work together and it was a good thing. But like, I, you know, if you know the person a little bit first, then that helps. Which is where like doing the, doing the work of genuinely being part of a community that you're trying to sell to is, is important. Yeah. Yeah. And like part of that also can be looking at how your needs interact well with the needs of somebody else. Like if you are a new game designer um, and you're completely new and you have, and like no one has played your game yet, then I think that's probably not the time to go like, Hey, uh, Jeff Stormer, James D'Amato, someone else who does one shots. Like, can we do a one shot of my game? Mm. Uh, do some playtesting first and then like understand like, Hey, someone who does a whole bunch of one shots is looking for games more often than someone who is doing campaign play. So let's, I want to pivot a little bit into this next question. Cause I think it sort of sure. relates to that again. These, you guys almost have gotten together and uh, asked these questions and thought about these questions beforehand because they, they, they really work together. Um, so as an indie game designer, this person asks, how do I fight the instinct to equate my own popularity and reach or lack thereof with the quality of my work? Uh, reach is everything. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. No. There are some really phenomenal game designers that have uh, tiny, tiny followings and really awful game designers that have huge followings. Uh, and uh, n- no shade on anyone specific, but uh, Mike Merles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not going to do the other side because <laughs> that'll be like me going like, yeah, and you've got like a shrimpy following. <laughs> um, it's me. But I have a small following <laughs> as a game designer. Uh, they're, they're, the, the, the niche for like teenage dinosaur games uh, is very bad. It's very Just small. make them fantasy dinosaurs. I should have made them fantasy dinosaurs. Should have been fantasy dinosaurs. Uh, instead, I made them breakdancing and, and, and sci-fi dinosaurs. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Here's some here's some truth, right? In the time that I was uh, publishing Pasión dos Pasiones, like in the Kickstarter time, right? Um, I gained forty followers. Um, and like I, I know a lot. I've got a decent amount of followers already, but forty is what I gained. When I threw shade on people online and got into internet fights, I easily gain fifty followers in a week. Um, and the truth of the matter is that my internet following has been made not by publishing or being a good designer, but by doing things that Twitter likes. Yeah. And there was a long time that I chased that and really was like, like after it, like in my bullet journal, I had a section about social media reach on various different platforms and it made me really, really miserable. And it didn't make me a better designer. Um, And to be real honest, I don't know how much it actually affected my sales. Like if I were looking at 800 followers compared to 2000 followers, I think it's, I don't think that's affecting sales in a meaningful way. I think that comes back down. I think it comes back to that thing we were talking about of, of don't lie to yourself and know Mm. what your goal is. If your goal as a game designer is to get a big Twitter following and have a huge reach, well then do the again like do the things like fight the people make the the twitter like whatever stuff that you need to do to get more followers but if your goal mm-hmm. is to like to make a quality game then find the people who know what a quality game is mm-hmm. and ask them yeah and um, there probably are not 2000 of them there's probably and and it might not even be like no, like 
what even is a quality game. And so it might not even be like a, there are not like, there isn't like some group of like 20 objectively right people who are like, these are what the best games are. It's like, go find the person that you respect the most, do the work and try to get them to look at your game. And if they think it's good, then it's probably good. I mean, and also like be honest with yourself about like, you probably have a better sense of if your game is and your work is good than you think you do. Yeah, like, get it to the table and, like, really pay attention in, like, an open way. Yeah. Because, like, I have I have been at tables with game designers that... Oh, boy. That, like, really thought that they had made something that was going to disrupt the entire industry and be, like, a perfect game that would make them thousands of thousands of dollars make the most important person in the industry and would not take any feedback. And my time at that table was useless. Because I could give feedback and they'd hear nothing. And or so even even not just make the most influential, like people who thought they were going to make it the most influential game, but just people who thought like, again, what is that pillar of what your game is doing? Like, what is yeah. what is it the thing that you want the game to do the most? And then evaluate if it's doing that. And like, mm-hmm. again, like I have sat down at people at tables with people who were convinced that their game did this thing the best. And yeah, when it didn't they were not open to hearing that. Yeah. And like, that's really difficult to do. And like, I I don't know how much that's actually. Okay. No, wait, I've got us back on topic because I realized that we weren't really addressing how you fight the instinct to equate popularity and reach. Mm. And I think the way to fight that is to give yourself other demonstrators of the quality of your work. Because if you only have your Twitter followers, if you only have your whatever, then you can't compare it to anything else. You only are going, I wrote this game, I have 35 followers, and I want more followers. But if you only, if the only measure you have, like the only way that we can understand the world is like measures, right? Yeah. And like some of those measures are really objective, some of them are really subjective. But if the only thing you have is like your number of followers... And your personal beliefs of yourself and like your own self-worth, like then it, then the thing you're going to decide is dependent upon where your self-worth hangs out and how many followers you have. Yeah. If you Weirdly, can find this connects with like what I was doing at work today, which is the story of game of, of this podcast recently. Um, but we do a thing in our in, in my office uh, called OKRs. Um, okay. where every department sets an OKR, and that is an objective and a key result. And so you say, my objective is to do X, and here mm-hmm. are the ways that I met, here are the key results that I'm using to measure if I've hit that, 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 that objective. And I think that that's like, that's, that's how you should play, that's how playtesting should work if you are game designing. Like, mm-hmm. you say, I want my game to make people feel sad. And then yeah. how are the ways in which I'm going to, me- how am I going to measure that and it, yeah. if I've achieved that goal or not? And... And then you go into the playtest, and then you just evaluate it. I was literally about to talk about smart goals, <laughs> uh, which is the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like fundamentally, if the only thing that you have is your impression when you read your game and your number of followers, then you don't have a very good estimate of the quality of your work um, because you have like your personal self-esteem and you have a number that has nothing to do with the quality of your work. Yeah. Uh, so if you can add like a third even a third measure of like how have playtests gone how are my friends telling me it is um how do people react to it when i post it online how do people react to it if i play it on a podcast then all of those give you a better idea all of those give you a better idea of how good your game is as you're moving forward and deciding and i think and again that connect it connects back to be honest with yourself about what you're looking for what mm. is what what do you mean quality like that that the question of how do I fight the instinct to equate my popularity with the quality of my work? The way that you can fight that is by deciding and being very clear about what quality is. Yeah. Like I I play tested a game uh, at Metatopia last year, and the woman who who made the game. Uh, she absolutely loved the game. She'd had, had not done a lot of playtesting. She had one really good um, experience playing the game with a friend. 
And when we play tested the game, it crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. It was it just like it fell apart. It didn't quite do the things that that it was intending to do. But in the conversation that we had after it, one of the things that the other playtester and I were talking about is like if 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 your goal was to like if you feel like this is the game like it, there there is I think that there like there's a there's a whole concept of like writing games that no one will ever play because the the thing that's important is the game writing is like if you've mm-hmm. written a game and you feel like it's really quality and you had one good experience and it doesn't work for anyone else if that's what you've defined as quality then like yeah. then you did it good <laughs> yeah so I think having um, a clear idea of what you're trying to achieve will help you define what quality means. Absolutely. Um, if you're like, if you are looking to, if you're looking to make a lot of money in your game, then rate your game on how much money it makes and set your goals based on how much money it makes. Make sure that you're doing things like getting art. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are trying to rate your game based on like someone's play experience, then get play testing done. If you're trying to rate your game and rate yourself based on the quantity of your work, do it that way. Do it by a page count. If you are doing it by wanting to make, like, like wanting to create and do, like, a lyric game that no one will ever play and that's okay, then rate it on doing that. And, yeah. like, also legit, if your goal is to be popular, then rate your popularity. Mm-hmm. And, like, rate your quality of your work on how popular you are. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, it is okay to say this is the reason i make games and i think actually in a lot of ways social media would be better if people did say like hey my purpose when i am on this site is to do this thing and like it will also probably help you avoid like negative social media use you know like if you're not there to hustle and you're spending your time hustling you're probably making yourself miserable and you'll get You'll definitely get people who will come and say, hey, how come you're not using the social media platform for the thing that I want mm-hmm. wanted you to be using it for? Yeah. And but you can always then point back to the, the your consistent of saying I've I've I'm I've always been very clear that yeah, that this is why I'm I'm using this. And I will mm-hmm. uh, like if I if my if I if I'm using this as a way to advertise my game, then you can't get mad. Really, I mean, you will, but you can't get mad at me for for using it to advertise my thing. Yeah, like my uh, it has been. When did Twitter add the option to have like my full name? That it was like a long amount of space. That was years ago. Yeah, I haven't changed my appearance name on Twitter since that happened. I used to change it before yeah. when my name didn't fit because my name was too long. But since then, I haven't. And, like, I've made my branding more consistently me. Uh, and I've spent less time talking about topics that are unrelated to gaming with the exception of Animal Crossing that has <laughs> devoured my life. Um, but And the circle. Animal Crossing and the circle is all it's been for two weeks. Um, but, like, that's a conscious decision to say, like, the reason I'm making this Twitter content is because it directs people towards the content that I'm proud of. And it lets me interact with people that are doing the kind of content and work that I want to be doing. Um, and like, I think if I had started out my Twitter that way, uh, I would have had fewer really bad weekends. Uh, and like, there's nothing wrong with doing that because then you also like getting real cynical you also are providing better Twitter content to your followers. If you are someone who loves to post like memes and silliness and ridiculousness, like that's great. There's a huge market for that. There's tons of people who want to see that. If you are wanting to be on Twitter to hang out with your friends, that's great. Your friends are on Twitter. You can hang out with them. If you are trying to sell something, you're trying to sell something and you don't have to be on social media. Like Brendan Conway doesn't exist, right? Like, yeah. There's no evidence that Brendan Conway exists no. except for his enormous games. Yeah. And so like you don't need to do that because that isn't what he's there for. Like by being it, it's it gives you permission to not do the things that you don't want to do. Yeah, it's because it isn't a necessity. You don't need to do this thing in order to do this other thing. Uh unless that's your goal. Like I I go to cons and I love seeing people that know who I am already because that is a thing that I enjoy. <laughs> uh if I am walking with, if I'm walking with Brendan, uh, he is way more likely to get uncomfortable, 
uh, it, it takes a lot to make me uncomfortable. And like, I love interacting with people going like, oh, hey, yeah, you know me? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's how you doing? Um, and I've kind of like, like, that doesn't necessarily define my work because in my mind, what defines my work is something else. And that's the yeah. experience that I see at the table. And that's the experience that I see from people. But I can value both of those things. I can say like, I like this. And I can say, that's unrelated to my game. I can put out a really, really good game or I can put out a really, really bad game. And uh, there are some people that would buy my game even if it was really, really bad. But it would still be very, very bad. And and if you, if you for example, lose, like if you lost 200 followers tomorrow, mm-hmm. then because you've defined the quality of your game as the play experience that you see at the table mm-hmm. by losing those followers, it hasn't changed the play experience. And so, and so your, your quality of your, your work hasn't changed there. Like this wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be a modern stop back and roll episode if I didn't talk about scrum a little bit, but like one of the <laughs> things that we talked about, cause I just went through another class. One of the things we talk about is the definition of done. You define what done is mm-hmm. and how it's always like a, an interesting conversation to have when you first introduce the concept to people, because they're like, what do you mean define what done is like? It's done when it's done. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Def- what do you mean by quality? Define what quality is. And then when you have hit that definition, then it's quality. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, your goal shouldn't be make a great game. Your goal should be make a game that does X, Y, or Z thing. Here's how I'm going to know that it makes X, Y, or Z thing. Uh, but even... What's what's the SMART acronym? But even if you want... Um, even if you want to say your goal is to create a great game, what does great mean? Define yeah. what that is. Like, that doesn't... Great... Those kinds of big picture goals don't mean anything as much as mm-hmm. you think they do because they're so... They're, they're broad. Smart goal should be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Yeah. should be specific in that you know what you're trying to get. It should be measurable in that you know when you've hit that point, when you know you've hit done. Attainable in that you're not trying to write D&D 7th edition. Uh, relevant in that it means something to you. And time-bound in that you don't spend 20 years making a heartbreaker that you never showed anybody ever. Yeah. Also, Mike Merles has 44 times followers than me. And there's literally no way he's 45, 44 times better of a game designer no. than I am. Like, sit me and Mike Merle's down in a, in a, at a table. I'm not saying that I would win every time in a design contest, but he certainly wouldn't beat me 44 to 1. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Come at me. Come at me, Mike <laughs> Merle's. <laughs> also, pick fights with people bigger than you. Yes. No, don't. Um, so I think Definitely have- don't pick fights with people smaller than you. Definitely not. I think we have time for one more question. Um, do we want to pick one off this list? Are there people in the in the chat who have a question? Um, Amur points out that uh, that there should be the design game design needs design contests in the style of Great British Baking Show and MasterChef and all those cooking shows. And I would just like to add and the circle <laughs> alert. Write a move that discourages uh, that discourages combat go yeah Ooh, um yeah buddy the i love the circle go watch it um <laughs> speaking of just a brief, brief quick tangent on on <laughs> games that uh games that have moves that discourage combat uh zombie world of all games didn't expect oh that to have a game that discouraged mm-hmm. combat but if you oh, are God. attacking if you're attacking anyone you always mark stress yeah. Unless you specifically take the thing. And if you mark stress yeah. enough, then your character becomes a villain. Mm-hmm. It's it's really intense. Uh, that that and Cartel also. Games that you really do not in- expect you to discourage yeah. violence. But holy cow. Yeah. I, I Ooh. When I, when Sorry, I rolled ahead. a random character in, mm-hmm. uh, in Zombie World, because I just played a game of Zombie World. And I played oh, a character nice. who was a... I was... Um, I don't remember what the name of my present card was that I do all the dirty jobs that no one else wants to do. And my background was that I was a contract killer. And then I was like, I'm a contract killer (laughs) in a game where if you kill people, you take stress. I was like, the game is telling me to turn my character into a villain. Which because you. Yeah, kind of are. And so I I sort of did that. that That's amazing. It was great. Yeah, it's so good. You know, we have not done a single thing of what a question from the chat. Let's do that. 
And we have a question from the chat right now for Magpie Mirror Test. Nice. Uh, Magpie Mirror Test asks, what's the secret to making good custom moves on the spot slash making worthwhile custom moves in general? Should I talk about my recipe? Maybe. <laughs> so have here's, I talked about here's, my recipe? I may have talked about my recipe. Here's my answer to this. Every <clears> single <throat> time I've tried to make a good custom move on the quick, I realized that I could just use a regular basic move instead and gave up. Because I'm that's bad that it. is legitimately fair. Making um, a good custom move is the worst. Is the thing that I'm the worst at. I thought you were going to say it's the worst idea as a no. GM, and I was going to be no, like, no, no. James, no, I'm like, just bad really at it. Good. I'm incredibly bad at making moves on the fly I, and in general. I don't think that's true for what that's it worth. Is. It's not, James. Um, this this is the part of the podcast that people don't hear, where we just kind of verbally hug each other for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I have a recipe I follow when I make custom moves. Mm -hmm. Um, And almost all of my custom moves are like this. Honestly, if you go through uh, uh, Protean City, you'll probably hear the exact same recipe like three or four times. Um, You make the roll. On a 7 to 9, you choose 1. On a 10 plus, you choose 2. (laughs) 2. The listeners couldn't see that I held up three fingers. (laughs) Um, But then you have three options for it. One of them is you avoid something you want to avoid. One of them is you do the thing in an especially good way. One of them is you do the thing and also do another thing. So if you are uh, if you're attacking somebody, like if you're directly engaging a threat, then the way to like kind of pare that down to my setup is that you're is that you avoid getting hit, which is something you want to avoid. You uh, impress surprise or frighten the opposition, is do it but extra. And you take something from them, is you do it, but you also gain another thing. So basically, you choose those three things. On a 7+, they achieve the thing. On a 10+, they obviously achieve the thing, but they get two things instead of one thing. And no matter how you set it up, it works. Um... When you do a live podcast stream, roll plus hot. Roll plus hot. Mm. Really look into the camera on that one. Um, <laughs> the camera that like 90% of the people that consume this will not see. Yeah. Uh, on 7 to 9, 10 plus, blah, 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 blah. Your options are uh, the, the stream gets additional viewers which is something great. That's exactly what we wanted. We were making a podcast. Mm -hmm. Option two is you come up with an insight that will help you in your regular game design. It wasn't what you're setting out to do, but it's something that came about. And number three is you don't spend 24 minutes off air trying to get it figured out while OBS updates. (laughs) And all three of those, (laughs) it's, it's been, it's been an hour. Um, it's, It's like all three of those options are things people want. And even on a 10 plus, they don't get all of them. And so that makes it a compelling moment by having those things. Uh, and then you always set a six minus for a custom move and you make that as intense as you want to because you're telling people ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so we get to say, like, I get to like look James in the eyes. We're sitting at this table and say, hey, and on a six minus, we go live without realizing we've gone live and throw a bunch of shade on people we shouldn't be throwing shade on mm-hmm. in front of an audience of 50 people. That wasn't happening. No shade was thrown beforehand. Also, I wish but we like, had 50 just like, people. What? <laughs> I love um, all seven of you. <laughs> right, because we didn't roll a seven. We didn't yeah. roll a six minus. We rolled. I think we rolled a seven to nine. Yeah. Uh, that we had game insights. Yeah, so one for one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. But like, basically, if you do that, then it works. Mm-hmm. Um, another really good way to do custom moves is to do small custom moves that you say things like when you try to comfort and support this super wheel, weird alien hive mind people, um, you use freak instead of mundane and your players will sit there at the table and go, Ooh, use freak (laughs) instead of mundane. That's very nice. You're very clever. And you didn't do any work. Yeah. You know, um, and it still works. It's it is great. 
This person is, this person's too smart to hit. You have to understand everything going on in their mind. Roll with superior instead of danger. And they go, ooh, that's a custom move. And you're very clever. And like (laughs) being legit, like that sounds like I'm being like really reductive on that. If you start doing that a couple times, not only will you trick your players into thinking you're super good at it, you'll also feel better about yourself in doing it. So then when you rock out, like then when like you get into a spot and you're like, I'm just going to do a weird custom move right off the top of my head and you do it, uh, you'll be more likely to like err on the side of awesome instead of like erring on the side of caution. And I think that's maybe, maybe that's one of the big takeaways for custom moves is don't be afraid to make it a big thing. Make it something that's cool and, and wild. Like, yeah. Even in my podcasting one right then, I didn't say like, you know, I didn't say 10 people listen. You know, it was like 100 people listen. You get way more followers, right? And like just aiming, let's just like shoot for the... Which is where I think... Sports metaphor. I think, yeah, shoot for the sports metaphor. This is what where... I'm trying to do baseball. I, I don't know baseball well enough. It's where I I always end up thinking... um let me make this custom move. Oh wait, I've I've just basically rewritten Unleash Your Powers, except I added one yeah. thing. It's because I didn't shoot big yeah. enough. Yeah, because it's like so. This is going to be so hard to say with words, um, versus hand gestures. Yes. And so I'm going to hand right. gesture, and James can provide my closed captioning. Okay. So here's basic moves. It's a circle. It's a okay. circle that's like about the size of my of my face. Yeah. Uh. Then one step outside, one bigger step that covers more ground is uh, defy danger or unleash your powers. It is the move that you use when it doesn't matter what other move it is. Uh, Unleash your powers is a little funky, but like defy danger, uh, react under pressure, all of those things that it's like you want to avoid a thing, so you roll to avoid the thing. You want to do the things, you roll to do the thing. It's that's just the that's just like the the grammar of apocalypse world right is you're saying seven to nine is in the middle 10 plus is good six minus is bad Mm. so that's this like big broad circle you bring it into basic moves you bring it in a little bit more to custom to playbook moves uh those should be more specific to the person who's doing it and custom moves should be little tiny things if your custom move is not extremely specific it's not worth doing a custom move so like if yours if you're doing a custom move that is going to come up every session, then don't write it as an on-the-spot custom move. Sit down and carefully decide whether it's worth it to add a new basic move to the game. Uh, And don't view it as a custom thing. This is now a basic move in your game. Same goes for if you're doing a playbook move. If you're playing Apocalypse World and you're playing a brainer that really loves to jump into the psychic maelstrom and travel enormous distances... Mm -hmm. Um, that might be worthwhile to make a move. It's probably not a custom move if it's happening every session. Yeah. Like, that's probably something that is a, is either a playbook move or a basic move. And, like, there's no one telling you you can't just give a player a new playbook move. Yeah. Like, come fight me. Uh, like, looking at Dungeon World, right? I think Dungeon World is a great thing to come back to. Because it's more solid of a game in some ways than uh, than Apocalypse World. And it's more mutable than pretty much every single PBTA game other than it, right? Uh, compendium classes are basically like prestige classes that like you do a certain thing and you get access to this class. And when you get it, you get a move right away. Because the truth is, in PBTA games, there's not a lot of balance, Balance is like such a fake thing. Yeah. Like if you are playing, if you're playing, uh, if you're playing, uh, blah, 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 blah. if you're playing Apocalypse World and you're the brainer and you decide you want to kill the hard holder, you probably can. Like yeah. if you're the battle babe, yeah, forget about it. <laughs> you can. Uh, afterwards, you're going to have like a really hard time. Because the battle babe is all about killing one person and then having a really bad time. Mm. Um, but like that is that's that balance doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter that the hard holder is not going to be able to prevent someone from killing them because the threat of killing the hard holder is not the difficulty, it's the consequence. 
So if you give someone a new move, you're not giving them, like, a Vorpal Sword plus five. You're giving them another ball to juggle that is going to fall down at some point. And you say to them, like, hey, from now on, you can jump into the Psychic Maelstrom, and it'll be really nice. And they go, oh, nice, I got a new toy, yay, I got a new toy. And then they roll a six minus, and they get devoured by Maelstrom Beasts. Yeah. And that's rad. And that wouldn't have had an opportunity to happen if you hadn't given it to them. All right. I think that's a good answer. I think think we've hit the end of this episode. Um, I think we got through most. Thank you for people in the chat telling me I'm really clever. Yeah. That must mean we've definitely hit the end (laughs) of the episode. Um, Let's let's move on before they find out. Um, (laughs) If you have defined success as talking to us on Twitter, then... You're in luck because you can find do both of us together at Stop Hack and Roll or individually I am at End the Meltdowns. And and I'm at B. Leon Gambetta with the worst sign off of all time. You can find all of our episodes, links to some of the games we've been working on and a little bit less at www.stophackandroll.com. If you want to send us an email, you can technically do that at James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com. If you like the show and would like to help other people find it, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. We make this podcast with the support of our Patreon backers, and we'd like to take the time. Uh, they, I mean, they, they, they raised enough money that we did this live show, um, and the, the rest of the other people can, can listen to it and come see us stream live. Uh, I'm going to hopefully make this available to view, and I'll post the link to it on the Patreon. Um, and so I'd like to thank one of our new backers, Aaron Acevedo, as well as thank some of our old favorites, like Zach. Hella Drawings, Devin White, uh, Riverhouse Games, Matt Hales, Joshua Tant, Evan Nyquist, Brett Valls, and Richard Kritzlandry. If you'd like to help support this show and our other shows and all possible future shows, then check us out at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. If you can't support us financially, that's totally fine. Support our community by becoming a part of it. Join our Discord at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. I know this was like a one-time unlock thing. I actually super enjoyed it. Yeah. This is maybe something we should do again in the future. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If your goal was... So if if you're writing a goal, if you're you're trying to define what being good at game design is, let me... Let me... I can't wait. (laughs) Let me... I have no clue. Let me recommend a good way to know if you are a game designer. It's... Listen to Stop, Hack, and Roll through to the end, and you'll know that you're a good game designer when you've heard us say the words, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Only a little bit live. It's not like we're in a room with people. We're all... Keep social isolating. Yes. Distancing. Social distancing. Um, Don't socially isolate. All right. Well, I'm going to stop recording. And that's the recording.